Now let's turn in our Bible to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 15 till the end. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever, Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4 and the verse 20. If you look at the words as you open your Bible, it reads, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I've given you the text. Let me tell you my theme today. My theme is to consider the apostles' profound doxology. Today we come to some of Paul's final verses as he closes this very personal letter to the church at Philippi. Remember he's in prison and this letter has been taken back via the hand of Epaphroditus and read out in the church in Philippi. And in chapter 4 Paul has given a number of general exhortations. We've read that studied that from chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. All those sermons are on the internet for you visitors. And of course, then we've thought about his wonderful thank you note for the very generous gifts for him. And then we thought last week about his teaching in Philippi uh, chapter 4, verse 19, that God who is greater than all our need. And as Paul thinks of these general exhortations, as he thinks of this thank you note and the way that he's put it uh, to um, 
express his gratitude to the church at Philippi for their very generous gifts. And then as he thinks about this God who's greater than all our need, notice at that point he breaks into a a rapturous outburst of praise to God. Philippians 4 verse 20 is the apostles' profound doxology. It's a rapturous outburst, as I've said, of praise to God. That's what it's all about. Paul praising God at that point. As Paul signs off his letter, he can do no better than praise and adore this wonderful God of heaven and earth. In this letter of encouragement, in this letter of instruction uh, to the saints to be joyful and to rejoice in the Lord. In this letter that's full of Christ and and full of gospel truth, we see Paul here as a master theologian because this gospel that he preaches is not just in his head, it's also in his heart. You see, he hasn't just got an intellectual grasp of the things of God, but he has such a, a practical application of them that they actually fill his heart and mind. In other words, he is passionate about them. They they, they have gripped his heart and mind. God's truth that centers in Christ. God's truth in relation to the gospel had set Paul's heart in fire. To him, God's truth was vital. It's the most valuable treasure that he has. To him, it's it's a virtuous thing. And as Paul thinks of God, And he thinks thoughts of the gospel. And as he thinks of Jesus Christ. And as he thinks of this God who is greater than all his need. It's as if he he couldn't contain himself. What filled his heart. Impacted in such a way that, that he opened his mouth. And he says, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Isn't it true, and I pointed this out in the letter to the newsletter, that right living is the result of right believing. And Paul's theology of God, Jesus Christ, and the gospel was followed by this wonderful doxology. Because of what he believed, it impacted on how he lived. And how Paul lived was this, that he was full of praise and worship and reverence for who and what God is. Now think of these words. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what I'm calling Paul's profound doxology. Notice here, There's a relationship that's wonderful. Now unto God and our Father. This is a focused relationship. Now unto God. You see the word now, it literally means in light of all that has gone before. In light of all that I've said before about Jesus Christ. About living out the gospel about being joyful, about God who is greater than all our need. In respect of this, let us give glory and honor to God. 
As I've said, remember, he's a man whose heart is on fire for God. This was not just an abstract idea for Paul. This was not just um, some sort of airy-fairy idea. Paul knew that God was to be worshipped as God. That God was to be adored and praised from the heart. When he said, now unto God, he's thinking about the doctrine of who God is. What, what God is like. What God has done. And let's remember this morning, as you hear me repeating often in this pulpit, that God is the true and the living God. Let, let's put them down. God is our creator and maker. The one in whom we move and live and have being. The God who gives us breath to breathe every day. The God of the Bible is a God who is absolutely sovereign over this world that he's made. The psalmist said, the Lord God omnipoteth reigneth. The God of the Bible is a trinity in unity, a God who subsists in three persons, three in one and one in three. The God of the Bible is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom. It's also true about his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness and truth. Now, now in light of this, now, unto God. And what he's really saying is, I want you to think about God. I want you to focus on him. I want you to let him take precedence in your heart and mind. Fill your thoughts with him. You see, this was a focused relationship. He talked in chapter 1, verse 3, about my God. Remember he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And he closes the letter also talking about my God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God. See the text above the door when you come into our main sanctuary this morning is this. Be still and know that I am God. And God can be known. God has made a revelation of himself in the Bible. God has made a revelation of himself in creation. In fact, in John 17, the Lord Jesus prayed, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You see, here's Paul and is responding to the truth about God as God. He doesn't treat the God of the Bible flippantly. He doesn't treat the God of the Bible in a light-hearted way. You see, we live in a day when many Christians, professing Christians, treat God as if he's their buddy. Treat God as the man upstairs. Treat God as the man above. Treat God as... One of the boys. But you know what? As I think about God, I don't like those slang terms. Because God is not only sovereign, God is special. And he's special because this is the revelation that he's made of himself in the Holy Scriptures. And in this relationship that Paul has with him that's wonderful, 
He, he focuses on who God is, what God is like, what God has done. Now, now on to God. And we could write a whole book on the doctrine of God as revealed in the Bible. And I've only given you some of the truths about God. But that's what gripped his heart and mind. Now, I want you to see something else. It's not only a focused relationship, it's a filial relationship. If you look at the text again, it says, Now unto God and our Father. Remember, he's talked about my God, Philippians 1 and 3. My God, Philippians 4, 19. And now he, he introduces us for the first time to this word, Father. Now unto God and our Father. You see, Paul was in a filly relationship with this God of heaven. This God was his father. Paul was saved by the grace of God. He was in a filial, infinite, personal, close relationship with God as father. And not just him. What was true of him was true of every child of God in Philippi. He was our father. Now you may have heard of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. I want to tell you that God is not the father of all men in a redemptive sense. He is the father of all men in a creative sense in that he's the creator and maker of all men and all men move and live in him and have their being. All men depend on him for life and every temporal and material blessing. It's God that gives breath to all, even to the wicked. And of course, God could snuff it out at any moment. But I want to tell you, God is not the father of all men in a redemptive sense. He only becomes father whenever we're born into his family. When I was born into the McLaughlin family, my father was known as Gerald McLaughlin. And sadly, of course, he died when I was very young. But if people ask me, who's your father? I could tell them he's the late Gerald McLaughlin. And when I was born again into God's family by the Spirit of God, God became my Father, my Heavenly Father. Remember what John was able to say in John chapter 1. He says, But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word power there means the right or the authority. This was not something hereditary, not something of our own will, not something of the will of a pope or a priest or a preacher, but, but born of God, born of the Spirit of God. It reminds me of the theme of adoption of sons. We've sang this morning there, Behold what manner of love, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Remember what John says there in his epistle in um, 1 John chapter 3, and he says there in the verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, God is not just creator and maker. God is not just sovereign over all his creatures. God is not even a distant figure. He is God our Father. 
The, the word father reminds us of one who is tender and loving and compassionate and, and yet someone who is firm and someone who is authoritative. You were not born a child of God, nor either was I. We, we were not born, in a sense, into God's family in the day that we drew breath into this world. But we were born strangers to him, with our backs to him. We did not know him, but we're only brought into his family by the new birth. And once we're brought into God's family by the new birth and received the adoption of sons, God to us was Holy Father. John 17, I think it's the verse 9. There's only one Holy Father in the world, and that's God in heaven. Certainly not the Pope. He shouldn't use that title. He shouldn't claim that title. There's only one Holy Father. He's also Heavenly Father. Aren't we taught to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and 9? Our Father, which art in heaven. So we could talk about our Heavenly Father. He's also our helpful Father. Because we're taught in Romans 8 verse 15 that he's given us of a spirit whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that a privilege? Do, do, do we have any concept or understanding of this filial relationship today? That, that this God of heaven is our Father. D.L. Moody was having a tent campaign in some city in the United States of America. And a steward brought a wee boy to him. And the boy, of course, was crying. And the wee boy told D.L. Moody that he was lost. And he held the wee fellow up. And he cried out, Who among you owns this boy? And a voice shouted, I do. And D.L. Moody asked him, well, 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 who are you? And he said, I'm his father. And as he said that, the wee boy cried out, Daddy, Daddy. And of course he hugged his father and big tears rolling down his face because he, he thought he had lost him. A lost boy found by his father. And that's a wonderful picture of redemption. You're lost. You're born outside the family of God. You're without God in Christ. But the moment the Spirit of God works and shows you your sinnership and your need of Christ and you bow the knee, as we read in the Bible, but as many as received him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment you received him, you were given the authority or the right to, to call yourself a child of God, that, that God was your father. That's a profound and wonderful thing. A relationship that's wonderful. And as Paul thought about this doxology as he closed, he was focused on who God is. But he also reminded himself that he's in a filial relationship. Now unto God, our Father. Could you think of that this morning? Is God your heavenly Father? Do you view him as a holy Father? Do you see him as a helpful Father this morning? Notice something else in our text here. Here's a response that is wonderful. Not only a relationship that's wonderful, but a response that's wonderful. Look at the text. Now, under God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Now, the word glory, young people, is the Greek word doxa, from which we get the word doxology. 
And it means giving praise. It means give reverence. It means give honor. And it's connected here to our thinking about God. Well, what does the word mean? Be glory forever and ever. Well, we'll think of our duty to give glory to God. But when we think about the word glory, I want you to understand that there is a glory that's intrinsic to God. That is the glory that God has in and of himself. God is glorious in himself. Listen to these few references. In the book of Exodus 15, we read in verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And also in Psalm 72, And in the verse 19, we read, And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And also over there in the uh, book of Timothy, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 6, and in the verse uh, 15, um, we read what Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, it's all about him. Nothing can be added to the intrinsic glory of God. God has been and always is and always will be forever glorious in his holiness. He'll forever and always will be God blessed forever. He always will be the only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you see, we contrast what the Bible teaches about God, the the Word's view of God, and the world's view of God, and they're poles apart. You see, the world has no view of God. There's no awe of God in the worldling's heart and mind. They, They therefore don't approach God in the right way. But we have a duty to give glory to God. And as we give glory to God, we we remind our souls that God's glory is intrinsic to himself. And there's nothing we can do to add to that. But there's another aspect, and it's this. Glory is ascribed to God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Philippian church. Not the intrinsic glory of God that cannot be added to, but ascribing glory to God. Now unto God and our Father be glory. He's really telling us there to to give glory to God. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 16 and in the verse uh, 27. Romans 16 and 27 says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And over there in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3 and in the verse 20, 21, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And again in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in the verse 17, he he tells us now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, 
the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We were singing this morning deliberately, glory be to God the Father, glory be to God the Son, glory be to God the Spirit, great Jehovah, three in one. We were singing glory, glory, because it's proper that we give glory to God as Father. It's proper that we give glory to God as Son. It's proper that we give glory to God, the Holy Spirit. And here's Paul as he finishes off his letter. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's telling the whole congregation in Philippi, I want you to give glory to this God who is greater than all our need. And that's true for the church collectively, but it's also true for the church individually. You see, Paul is consumed with thoughts of God. And he's using this doxology as a formula for praising God. And he wants everyone to give glory to God. Do you know that in the third and fourth century, the established church, they always finished off the service with these words, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, as is now and forever shall be, world without end. I would suggest that many say that with little thought. But let's remind ourselves what is being said is true. God is not one God out of many. He's the only true and the living God. And our catechism teaches us man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we do that by loving him. We do that by living for him. We do that by being loyal to him. We refuse to deny him. We refuse to doubt him. We refuse to denounce him. We refuse to desert him. Because we have a high view of who God is. And you know something? You can't hold too high a view of God. You can't hold too high a view of his majesty, his authority, his power, his justice, his mercy, his truth, his unchangeableness. God is all wise. And he's the ever-living, eternal, present one. And God is glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And and we honor his person when we ascribe to him glory. And we honor his work when we ascribe to him glory. And that's the duty. That's what Paul's thinking about. Think about the details. How, How can we give glory to God? Let me suggest this. We do so when we praise him. The Bible's full of it. Praise ye the Lord. The Bible says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. There's a man in Yorkshire. He was visiting his friends and they decided, well, we'll go to church together. Think of three friends walking along the uh, roads in Yorkshire to go to church. And the friend says to his two friends, will there be any many out today? No. It's a bit like the bank holiday Uh, weekend isn't it how many will there be he says in the congregation Uh, there'll be the three of us for a start so the friend will ask well who preaches and he says oh we have no preacher we just have a lay preacher so so we ask well is he any good and the two friends say to him no it's a bit like the reverend McLaughlin he's no good but he can pray And he thanks God at the start of the service. 
And he thanks God in the middle of the service and he thanks God at the end of the service. And he's always giving thanks and praise to God. And at that point, the rain came on. And they had about another 10 or 15 minutes to walk. And by the time they get into church, they were nearly soaked. And the service started. And true enough, the lay preacher got up. And even though he was wet with the rain, this is how he started off the service. Almighty God, we thank thee. It is not always as bad as this on a Sunday morning. You see, we give glory to God by praising him, by being truly thankful for everything and all things. As someone said, I grumbled until I got out of bed in the morning, and then one day I discovered I couldn't get out of bed, and I grumbled no more. Praising him, even for health and strength. Mobility, food, family, so many things. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. We also ascribe glory to God when we pray to him. You think of the many exhortations and invitations to pray in the Bible. Romans 8 and verse 15. He has given us of his spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And we can talk to God. And we can ask him for his help. We, we can ask him to undertake for us. We bring and ascribe glory to God in the preaching of his word. The Bible tells us, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And we... Not only preach the word of God, but we receive the word of God as if God himself had come in person and, and is beside us. And haven't we lost that awe to, to listen, to, to learn, to, to, to lay it to heart like Mary? Where did she learn? She learned at the feet of Jesus. And God says to this man, will I look to him who uh, is um, poor and who's contrite in spirit and who trembleth at my word. And God calls on the nations to tremble at his word. But, but, the, but the nations have ignored and forgot God and, and don't live in awe of him. They're not listening to what he's saying. The, the, the preaching of the word means nothing. And of course, it's central to our worship service, isn't it? And then there has to be participation as we uh, uh, ascribe glory to God. And there has to be practice. We, 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 we do as he says. Right living is the result of right believing. And if we're listening to God and learning for him and laying it to heart, then we'll want to, to do what God says. And that was the point that I made to um, a guy called Brent Campbell from the Belfast Telegraph. I, I told him that, the Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And because we love Jesus Christ, uh, over and above sport on a Sunday, we'll do what God says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And our love for the Savior rises above our love for anything else. And that's part and parcel of being a Christian. It's hypocritical to say, I'm a Christian, that I love Christ but refuse to do the things that he says. And so many churches in Belfast have bought into this notion that we must open our doors and, and help and assist the marathon on a Sunday without a, a voice of protest. Now that's wrong. They're not practicing true religion. They're not giving glory to God. I want you to think very quickly of the duration of this. Notice it's forever and ever. It indicates eternity. 
It's, it's continual praise. We're, we're born and we praise. We live and we praise. We, we die and we still praise. We enter heaven and we're still praising God. Around his throne, it goes on and on, constantly, perpetually, eternally. Not in fits and starts. Not, not, not in, in, in little uh, moments and trouble. But, but all days and in all ways, we're praising God. We have a duty. I've given you some of the details very sketchily. But here's the duration. This is what Paul was uh, thinking about. Not only this relationship that was wonderful, but this response that was wonderful. But think about one final thing as we finish. Here's a resolution that's wonderful. Look at the last word of verse 20. Amen. Notice it has a capital letter. We think of amen, we think of the end of a prayer. But, but there's more to it than the end of a prayer. You, you should study the amens in the Bible. I've already hinted at one or two. But let me just say this as we finish. The word amen means, let it be. Lord, let it stand in thy sight. Lord, let it be so. It's as if Paul is putting his signature to the whole thing. I want this to be so. Lord, let this stand in thy sight. That this was a, a, an amen of affirmation. To give glory to God. There's many amens in the Bible. And it all means the same thing. So let it be. Could you say that this morning? Now unto God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, let this be from me. Lord, let this be from us. Let, let, let our church be known as a church that gives glory to God. Because that's man's chief end. And as we give glory to God, then we'll also enjoy him. I finished this morning. Are you in a relationship with him that's wonderful? And you focus on that because it's really a filial relationship. God's your father. Do you know him as father? What is your response to that? Is it to ascribe God the glory? You realize I have a duty to give glory to God. And I, I work this out in this detailed manner. And I do it continually. And I make this resolution. Lord, let this stand in your sight. Let it be to the praise of your name. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning and bless them to you.